0: Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. When you're there, show the church finger, right index finger pointed up. All right. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is our lamp to our path and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen me to deliver a word of power so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. I'd like to speak today on the topic, a closer look at your story. Hebrews 12 and 2 tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So God, being an author, is in the business of telling stories. And the Bible is full of characters that are involved in marvelous stories who go through heartache and triumph and endure situations which speak directly to our human experience. But here's the challenge God had. He had to write a book full of stories that not only instructed his people on how to draw closer to him, but he had to put something in every story that relates to everyone. So no matter who you are, What you are, where you lived, or when you lived, there's something in every story that speaks to you. And the stories in the Bible become the most real, the most genuine, when we see ourselves in the story. So when you read about David and Goliath, for example, you're reading about a real small shepherd boy going up against a real giant. But when you see you in the story, you see you going up against a giant of addiction, a giant of bad habits, or a giant of destructive thinking. And when you do begin to see yourself in the story, it opens up new channels of understanding and new ways to navigate life. And just like the Bible characters, when it comes taking a closer look at the story God wrote for us, we face certain challenges. If the story doesn't meet our expectations, the version of God we want to read about goes to war with who God really is. If our story doesn't meet our expectations or give a clear prescription on what to do, we get frustrated and stop reading. And if the story takes a new twist, we may get uncomfortable with the new style from the old author. So in this message, I want to take a closer look at the story of John 11. It's a story that ends in resurrection and new life. But the bulk of the story tells us how to get to that new life. Because the Bible is much more concerned with preparation than it is with the end of the story. Jesus, for example, spent 30 years preparing for public ministry spent three years in public ministry, and then spent a few hours on the cross. So this message is for anyone ready to inject a new twist or a new plot line into their story, but unsure about how to get there. So if that sounds like a story you want to hear, say amen. Point number one. God sets you up so you can lift him up. God sets you up so you can lift him up. John 11, 1-6. NASB. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Stop. So, before this story even begins, it tells us about a character, Mary, involved in this story, who's going to be involved in another story that hasn't happened yet. We're in John 11. The story of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus is in John 12, which tells us already that this story for the character of Mary is preparation for John 12. And that preparation happens because God sets you up so that you can lift him up. We'll continue. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So we have Mary and Martha, who are two sisters, and their brother Lazarus, and they send word to Jesus. They send him a message. This is analogous to us sending God our prayers in modern days. And they say, hey, not only is Lazarus sick, but the one whom you love is sick. This isn't some unfamiliar guy you just, just met on the street. This is someone that you know, that you have a relationship with. And they're saying, hey, God, we have a problem. It's just like today. You know when you love God and you ask him a favor. Hey, God, your servant has a problem. Come and help me. And there is an expectation of action because there is a relationship. God, Mary, Lazarus, and Martha are all part of the same family. They all know each other. But it goes deeper than that. Because when this story was written, women at the time didn't work. And the Bible tells us that Martha and Mary didn't have husbands. And at the time, women derived their entire sense of security from Amen. their social security their political security and their economic security so when Martha and Mary say hey Lazarus is sick hey Jesus your boy doesn't look too good there is a threat of literal life to Lazarus but if in if Martha and Mary lose their brother the male in their family that is their source of security. There's also a threat of figurative life. Because if Lazarus is gone, their security net is also gone. So there's an implied urgency in their request. And they're entreating Jesus to take action. That I want you to... Embrace the gravity of the scenario. Because even if their brother dies, the life of Martha and Mary is essentially over. This is Jesus' response. When he heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. This sickness is not to end in death. This sickness is not to end in death. So God hears their prayer, but God doesn't move. He doesn't directly intervene. He hears their prayer, and his response is to send word back to them. And that word is, this sickness is not to end in death. And that word is now going to go forth. And that word is going to frame the contours of this entire story, go to the end of the story, write the ending, and now wait for us to catch up. But here's the thing. If you have your Bible open now, you can read to the end of John 11. You can see that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. But when this story is playing out in real life, and you're Martha or Mary, you can't skip ahead to the end. There are no spoiler alerts. You have to keep on turning pages. And the only thing you have to go on is God's word. This sickness will not end in death. Now consider, you may, at, you may say to yourself, all I have is God's word. There's nothing for me to go on. And my response is that the word of God is the only thing you need. Consider that how you interpret God's word is how your story will play out. And God always sends his word before he directly intervenes. So in response to the person that would say, all I have is God's word, consider in creation when God said, let there be light. He never had to specify what would make the light, different sources of light, how bright the light would be, how fast light would travel. He simply said, let there be light. And everything in our reality which had to invert itself, which had to lay down, which had to be raised up, would had to change in order to accommodate the word of God had to happen. Why? Because God sent his word first. So if you believe the word of God, you need something more than that. My response is that is all you need because he sends his word out and that word is already written at the end of your story waiting for you to catch up. And God spoke a good word into all of our lives that whosoever believed in him will have life. And that word has proven trustworthy. The question is, will we now have the courage to turn the page? Because as we see from the beginnings of this story, God always sets you up so that you can lift him up. We'll keep on reading. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This would appear, it would appear not to make sense. Because Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So when your friend is in trouble and your friend is sick and you love them, and Proverbs 8.17 tells us that God loves those who love him which means these three brothers and sisters loved Christ. And when he hears his friend is in need, he stays where he is two days longer. He doesn't even move. He purposely pursues a course of inaction. And the reason why is simple. God sets you up so that you can lift him up. Had Jesus directly intervened, Had he magically teleported to where Lazarus was and healed Lazarus, there would be no John chapter 11. There would be no story. John 11 would be two or three verses, and it would be a a mere blip on the radar no one would pay attention to. But he purposely pursues this course of inaction so he can set you up to reveal his glory. Consider that the greatest victories in your life come from the greatest reversals. And God always sets you up so that you can lift him up. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers to have ever walked the face of the earth, said he doesn't follow Christ because he's a great speaker. He doesn't follow Christ because it gave him a greater code of moral ethics. He didn't follow Christ because he made his life easier. Charles Spurgeon came face to face, with the damnation he was entitled to by his own merits. And he was in a deep, dark place beyond which there was no rescue. And he saw God come way, way, way down, scoop him up, and place him on a place real, real high, directly into the arms of a loving God. And once he became aware of that reversal, he said, my God, my God, out of your love and grace for me, you have did this for, uh, for me. And it is from that great reversal, Spurgeon derived his greatest victory, and he never turned his back on God, because God sets you up so that you can lift him up. And God sets Lazarus up, because in John eleven fourteen 14, it says, Lazarus is dead. Second point, God always wants you to change before your situation. God always wants you to change before your situation. John eleven seventeen. so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Why is four days important? Because Jewish folklore at the time said, when someone passed away, their soul hovered around the body for three days. So if there was a chance for divine healing, if there was a chance for a miracle or any type of intervention, it had to happen within three days. Now that we're on day number four, we've passed the point of no return. So God doesn't arrive when you first call him, He arrives at the point where, when something does happen, you know it's him because he's setting you up. Verse 20 Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. So Martha was proactive, she took action, she didn't even need an invitation. She heard God was coming and went out to meet him. Mary, on the other hand, was paralyzed with emotion and grief. She was so heartbroken, she couldn't even leave the house. And that gives us some insight into Martha's character because we know from the book of Luke, Martha is a doer. She's a proactive go-getter. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So there is an expectation of action. But there is also an exclusive expectation of God. Martha goes out to meet Jesus and makes her need known but also places all responsibility and accountability for that problem on God. She basically tells Jesus, hey God, now that you're here, great. You are Lord. Here's the problem. I know you can fix it. Have fun with this. This is Jesus' response. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha responds, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus responds, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the question Christ is asking for every. Martha character today or every version of Martha you see in yourself? Do you believe that I am the solution to your problem? Let's recap. Jesus tells Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. Martha responds and says, yeah, probably at some point in the future. Jesus responds back and says, Martha, Martha, my dear Martha, my dear, dear Martha, you seem to have gotten it all wrong. You seem to think the resurrection is an event, but in reality, the resurrection is a person, and that person is standing directly in front of you. And the question Jesus wants to know is, Martha, do you believe that I, the person, the living Christ, am the answer to your problem? God always wants us to change before our situation. And God asks Martha to change three things before he even lifted a finger to address her problem. The three are faith, focus, and finish. Faith, focus, and finish. The first one, faith. Martha wants God to do something. But has convinced herself that her problem is now beyond God in the now. Jesus' response is, I am. Martha thinks it's something which will happen at some point in the future. And Christ repeatedly asks her, do you believe? Because in Martha's way of thinking, things will change, but things can't change now. They have to wait to some undetermined point in the future. In other words, reality is beyond saving in the present. So if you see shades of Martha in your story today, you may think that a person may save you, an idea may save you, a book may save you, or a seminar may save you, but God wants to know the fundamental question, Martha, do you believe that I can save you? Two, focus. Consider that God never stops being God. But if you don't recognize him as God, he's no value to you. Jesus, the son of God, was standing right in front of Martha. The answer to all of her problems was talking to her. But if you lack the ability to actually see the solution as the solution, your problem will never be solved. So despite the fact that Christ was right there in front of her, she never was able to see the deity in him to correct things. And here's the reason why. Martha in Aramaic is the female version of the word Lord. So when a Lord approaches the Lord of Lords in Martha's case, Martha's version of Lord wins. So of course, Martha cannot see Jesus as Lord because she's too busy dealing with her own version. The third thing that God asks Martha change before he changes the situation is the finish. Martha began the conversation with Jesus speaking about Lazarus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus ended the conversation talking about her in asking, do you believe that I am? And here's the difference. If you're a Martha today, you have a perpetual problem of revelation leading to activation. Jesus kept on revealing himself to her. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection. But in Martha's case, the roadblock that stopped God revealing himself to her and God actually doing something in her life to change her circumstances was a matter of faith, focus, and finish. In Martha's case, she had her eyes fixated on the situation. But God entreated her and implored her instead to cast her gaze on herself, on her face, on her faith, her focus and her finish. because God always requests that you change before your situation. Third point: when you lose faith in the author, God cries. So Jesus and Martha finish their conversation. Martha calls Mary and says, hey, the teacher wants to talk to you. Martha says, okay, goes out to see him. So verse 32, therefore when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is the same statement that Martha made. The difference is that, Mary falls at the feet of Jesus, which is a worship position. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. In my personal opinion, This is the shortest Jesus wept, but probably the most powerful verse in the top ten in the entire Bible. When you read the Bible, John 11 is usually labeled the resurrection of Lazarus, the death of Lazarus, the life and death of Lazarus. But at this point in the Bible, God has already resurrected a bunch of people a few times. What strikes me as amazing is that the king of kings, the lord of lords, the great I am that I am, the start and the finish, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, he who is worthy to be praised, besides whom there is none other, he's whose ways is higher than ours. Mary made that guy cry. And that guy cried, making Mary Knowing Mary would make him cry, but when the event happened, still cried anyway. And if Jesus cries, that's not something that we should be indifferent to. It's something we should be moved and stirred to emotion about. It's not something we can lightly brush over. So the question is, what made Jesus cry? The text gives us a clue as to why. It said that Jesus was moved and troubled. The meaning of those two words basically mean disappointed, to have righteous anger, or to have inward commotion. So here it was, a woman that loved Jesus and Jesus loved. And she bowed down before Jesus, crying and sobbing. And all she said was, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she says nothing more. And she's joined by the mourners with her. Because she fell at the Savior's feet, worshiping him, not expecting anything else to happen. And when the faithful, who presumably have a relationship with God, act as if they have no faith, that is what makes God cry. Because when you lose faith in the author of your story, God weeps. And here's the catch. The name Mary in Hebrew means... Rebellion. So when rebellion falls at the feet of the Messiah, it outwardly calls him Lord and prostrates itself at his feet. But inwardly think nothing is going to happen. And that makes God cry. See, Martha expected something to happen, but didn't believe. Mary believed, but didn't expect anything to happen. And you may be saying to yourself, this is depressing. Why are you telling me this? I came here to hear good news, not depressing. news." But there is good news. Because I told you at the beginning of John 11, it pointed forward to John 12. Mary is now weeping at the the feet of her Savior. And those tears represent mourning over loss and lost opportunities. In John 12, those same tears now served as an anointing worthy to anoint the feet of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Because God was setting her up before she could lift him up. And the question is, what is the cataclysmic event? What is the regenerative activity that God could instill in Mary's life, to make her see whom God really was? And the answer was, what changed is a fantastic ending to any story, which is a resurrection. Which brings me to my last point. God's ending always makes sense of the rest of your story. God's ending always makes sense the rest of your story. So verses 38 to 44. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Skipping ahead. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, So that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come forth!" The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Unbind him, and let him go." So when you translate back the word for stone, when Jesus said, remove the stone. In Hebrew, that word actually means law. So when Jesus commanded that the law be rolled away, grace could enter into the tomb. And when grace entered the tomb, it met up with the word Jesus spoke at the beginning of the story that said, his sickness shall not end in death. And when the promise of God links up with the grace of God, that is when the Son of God can say, Lazarus, come forth. And you have your great reversal, which gives God honor and glory. But there's a better point to be made. This resurrection was not significant Because it happened. Because we've seen resurrections before in the Bible. For example, Elijah did it, and Elisha did it. This resurrection wasn't as significant because of who did it. Because in Luke 7 and Luke 8, Jesus already resurrected a young girl and a grown man. This resurrection was important and the most significant because of how Jesus did it. Lazarus had been deceased for four days. When he resurrected a young girl in Luke seven, she had been dead for an hour or two. She was dead with a lowercase d. In Luke eight, he resurrected a man who was dead for a day. He was dead with a capital D. Lazarus was dead, dead. All capital letters, dead, dead. He was in the tomb for four days. It had a horrible smell. The body was decomposing. There were worms, there were maggots. What you saw didn't even look human. And you would say, this is, I don't even know what this is. It's not a human being, it's something alien. But when Jesus said, remove the law, and grace went in, and he spoke his word of power into the tomb, that one thing in your life that you thought was dead, dead, that one family member you thought would never come to church, that job you thought you would never get, that position you thought you were never worthy of. You may think the story is over. You may think the book has been closed long ago. But if Jesus way back when said, this sickness will not end in death, if he subsequently says, remove the stone, Lazarus come forth, there is nothing that you can actually do to stop the word of God. Because God's ending always makes sense of the rest of your story. And when Martha and Mary saw their brother arise from the dead, now they're at the end of their story and they looked back. And they could now see how everything makes sense in the context of the ending, of new life, of resurrection. And Jesus was the one that said, unbind him. Let all the bad thinking, the bad ideology, the bad doctrine, let him loose and let him now be free to live a life in servitude to me. So when Martha and Mary looked back on their story, they could now see that God always sets you up so you can lift him up. They could always see that he always asks you to change before your situation. And if those faithful to him act in a certain way, they can make the author cry. And now that they end, they realized that this glorious ending makes sense of everything else that happened. And they can now see why it had to happen. So at the start of your story, God sent his word. At the end of your story, no matter what happens or what route you take, the promise will always be there. It's just waiting for you to catch up. The end to your narrative is already written. But if you take a closer look at your story, will you have the faith to believe God and to worship in the midst of heartache in between giving of the word and the fulfillment of that word? Because if your answer is yes, Jesus is already waiting at the last page of your story, waiting to say, Lazarus, come forth. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafal. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafal.com.